Go ahead and turn to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4, that's where we'll be. Right after the book of Judges, Ruth chapter 4. I have to tell you, so when I'm running, uh, I have a coach that I listen to uh, on one of my apps. And uh, when I'm running, I want to run a long distance. And so I have to be able to breathe right so I can keep my heart rate down. And I'm not going to lie to you, I've been having to breathe this morning to keep my heart rate down because it's wanting to jump out of my chest right now. Um, for some reason, I feel like I'm walking on clouds right now, and that's fine. That's a good thing. Uh, I want to say two things. I want to say this. First of all, uh, this altar is always open, always. Whether we are singing praise songs or whether I'm preaching the Word, if God leads you to this altar while I'm preaching the Word, you come to this altar, you have the freedom to pray and move as God calls you to move. Uh, Another thing is, this water is just right. And it ain't going nowhere no time soon. So if God, if God saves a soul today and you want to follow through with believer's baptism, we'll do it. God is good, amen? He's an, he's an incredible God. He's a great God. And I'm going to tell you, He's a loving God. The book of Ruth is, is an incredible love story. But if you're not careful, you'll look at it with fleshly eyes, you'll look at it from a worldly perspective, and you'll say, oh, what an incredible love story about Ruth and Boaz. What an incredible love story about Naomi. But I I just want to tell you something. Yes, Ruth and Naomi and Boaz are in this story, and yes, um, it, it is a love story for them, but it's not a love story just for them. And it's certainly not a love story about them. It is God's love story for His creation. It's God's love story for you and for me today. And that's what I want you to see and that's what I want you to know. If I could make one statement about the entire book of Ruth, it would simply be this. The book of Ruth is all about sovereign God's redeeming love. That's what it is. The book of Ruth, chapter 1, it's about sovereign God's redeeming love. Chapter 2, it's about sovereign God's redeeming love. Chapter 3, it's about sovereign God's redeeming love. And guess what? We're going to read it today in Ruth chapter 4. It's all about sovereign God's redeeming love. What, what does that look like? What, what is redeeming love? Well, you've got to start with that word redeem, right? That word redeem means to buy back. It means to recover. It also means to release from debt. And it means to avenge by blood. And so I want you to see that God loves you and God loves me this much, right? The gospel writer John, in both his gospel and his letters, he says that God is love. He also says that God became flesh and dwelt with us. Emmanuel, God with us, His name is Jesus Christ. And I believe we see the love of God. I believe we see Jesus Christ throughout the book of Ruth, even though you may never see the word Jesus. I promise you, we see Jesus throughout every verse and every chapter of Ruth. That's how much God loves you. So how did we get here today? You may be here for the first time in this series, the book of Ruth, and we're in chapter 4, and you might say, well, how did we get to chapter 4? Well, I'm going to try to keep this as brief as possible so that we can get into chapter 4, but what we've seen is we've seen some very difficult circumstances, a famine, 
hit the land. We've seen some disastrous decisions. Elimelech took his family to Moab, a place where God said, you don't want to go and live there. Well, he took them there to live because he wanted to try to provide for them himself instead of trusting God. And we, we've seen some heartbreaking disappointments because Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. Not only did he die, her sons, Malon and Kilion, died. And she became a widow in that land. And before she became a widow, her sons married two Moabite women. And so now she was a widow with two daughters-in-law who were both widows as well. She was in a foreign land, and she struggled. We've seen the struggle, the struggle of doubt, the struggle of fear, the struggle of failure. And she became bitter. Two words, but God. Amen? But God. Thank God Ruth doesn't end in chapter 1. Because there's a chapter 2, and there's a chapter 3, and as we see, there's going to be a chapter 4. You see, God never stopped working. You want to know why? Because God is always working. Even when we can't see it, even when we can't hear it, and I'm going to tell you, even when we can't feel it, God is always working. We read in the Bible that Naomi returned to Judah. And what that means is that she returned to God. And in the process, not only did Naomi return to God, Ruth proclaimed God as her Savior. Ruth was saved by God. And Ruth went with Naomi back to Judah. But they were still widowed. Both of them were still widowed. And they needed help. But God, even though they were desperate, and even though they were struggling, God stepped in. We've seen his provision, we've seen his protection, and it came through a man named Boaz, and Naomi remembered that Boaz would be considered what is called a guardian redeemer. Some versions say a kinsman redeemer. And so Naomi remembered God's provision, she remembered God's word, and she planned according to God's word for Ruth. And so Ruth was obedient. She went to Boaz And what we could see in Ruth chapter 3, with fleshly eyes, it was a very provocative thing. Because Ruth went in and she laid at Boaz's feet and she opened up his garment. Now let me just tell you about this. When she opened up his garment and he was startled and awakened, he looked down at his feet and he saw a woman and she said, I am Ruth, I'm your servant. But understand this, when he looked down at his feet, he looked right past his circumcision. You might be going, Brother Jeff, what does that mean? That means he was reminded of who he was in God. And he remembered remembered the covenant relationship he had with God that was now passing through to this woman named Ruth at his feet. Nothing is a coincidence in God's plans. Nothing happens by chance. And so what we see is we see Boaz being a vessel of God's provision and God's protection to Ruth. And and Ruth wanted it. Listen, Ruth wanted Boaz to be God's fulfillment of the prayer he prayed over her and her family. As a matter of fact, Boaz also remembered the prayer. And so when Ruth said, you, you are the one God has put in our lives. You should be the guardian redeemer. She was basically saying, I want to be your wife. I want you to be my husband. 
And listen to what Boaz says. He says, I'll do it. But there is a closer kin than I. And he has the right to do it. What we know about Boaz is that he was a man of integrity. And he was a man of honesty. And he did not take advantage of Ruth in this very provocative situation. As a matter of fact, he he made sure that she got out of there and he got out of there before anything could be misinterpreted or misunderstood. And he told her the truth. Hey, I want to be your kinsman redeemer. I want to be your guardian redeemer, but I cannot because there is one closer and he has the right to be your kinsman redeemer. And that's how we got to Ruth chapter 4. So let's begin. Verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate. That was very important. I'll explain that in just a minute. He went up to the town gate and he sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Just as. Think about this. Perfect timing, right? Not a coincidence. No, God was guiding his steps Because God had his heart. Do you hear me? God was guiding his steps because God had his heart. So just as (laughs) the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said to him, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. And look at his response. I will redeem it, he said. I mean, hey, right? Anybody want to tell me if land is valuable today or not? It ain't changed, because land was valuable then too. This guy's like, whoa, I can increase, right? I can increase my acreage, right? I've got a lot of land that's fixing to come my way. Look at what he says. I will redeem it. And then we get verses 5 and 6. Verse 5, Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Whew. What a powerful passage of Scripture. First of all, I want you to see this. I want you to see Boaz. We see Boaz move forward with godly purpose. He is a godly man. God's got his heart. God is guiding his steps And he doesn't want to do anything that is wrong. He wants to do it right. He wants to honor God with his life. And so we see him move forward with godly purpose. The purpose is redemption. I hope you see that and I hope you know that today. 
the only thing on his heart and mind was redemption. He wanted Ruth and Naomi to be redeemed according to the provision and protection and the law that God had given his people. He meant what he said to Ruth about a kinsman redeemer being closer. But he wanted Naomi and Ruth to be redeemed the right way. Notice that Boaz addresses this man as my friend. You know what that means, right? That means that Boaz already knew this man. They already had some sort of relationship, right? And I'll tell you something else. In the Hebrew, the language that is used here, when he says, my friend, the exact word that he is using is our way of saying, whoever, whoever, come over here, whoever. It's another way we say, oh, you know, when you can't remember, you go, oh, uh, you know, so-and-so, right? That's the original Hebrew language here that's being used. What I'm trying to tell you is, is this man's name is not important. This man's name is not important. It's not important to what God's doing and why God's doing it. And so Boaz, right, Boaz says, come here, my friend, I've got something to tell you. And he tells him. And again, Boaz's purpose moving forward is the redemption of Naomi and Ruth. That's what it's all about. But now we see why this man's name is not mentioned, because it's not worthy of being mentioned. You want to know why? Because we see that the nearest kinsman's selfish intention is all that matters to him, right? He has a selfish intention. Land was important. Land was valuable. Land held the possibility of an even greater return. And so for this nearest kinsman, this would be something that increased his own value. It would increase his overall status in the community. The land was worth the price to be paid in his eyes. He said, oh, somebody needs to buy the land of Naomi? I'll do it. I got the money. And it's a good investment. That's the way he was looking at it. He was looking at it as an investment, not redemption. Boaz, the purpose of this conversation was not investment. The purpose was redemption. And so once Boaz continued laying out the entire guardian, redeemer responsibility, the nearest kinsman takes a step back, or maybe he fell off his seat. Right, Because he said, come sit down. So if he was sitting down, he may have fell off his seat or he may have jumped up on his feet. I don't know. I wish I could be there to see it. But I do know what he said. He said this, I cannot redeem it because. I cannot redeem it because it might endanger my own estate. Make no mistake about this, this man was thinking about himself. He was not thinking about Naomi. He was not thinking about Ruth. He just wanted the land. It was about him. Listen, he was thinking about his own position, his own status, and his own inheritance issues. It's as if he's saying to Boaz, hey, you know, I have the resources to do this. Uh, I have the right to do this, um, but I don't want to pay that price. If it's just the land, it's worth it. But now you throw in uh, a woman who happens to be a Moabite, and now she's my wife. That means I'm getting a mother-in-law out of this deal. No, ain't paying for that. 
I wish I could say I understand, but I'm going to tell you something, right? My mother-in-law was not my mother-in-law. She was another mama. So, so I, wish I, could get, I, I wish I could get this, but I can't get it, so I'm not going to try. He saw the land as worth the price to pay, but he did not see Naomi and Ruth as worth it. There's a lot of people sitting in here today. I imagine there's a few more people listening or watching. And you might be sitting here today, and you might be feeling the weight of guilt. Maybe you're feeling the weight of shame. Maybe you're feeling the weight of of fear and failure, disappointment. And, And maybe today you're listening to Satan when Satan says, you better take care of yourself because ain't nobody else going to take care of you. Maybe you're listening to the voice of Satan saying this, hey, you ain't worth it. Why, why go there? Why listen to that, that, that message? Why listen to that person? Because you ain't worth it. You, you might be sitting here today saying, I am not worth it. And I'm going to tell you something. That's exactly what Satan wants you to believe. But I'm telling you today, and I see it in the book of Ruth, and I see it in every book of the Bible, every word of the Bible, because it's God's word. I'm telling you today that there is one who looks at you just as you are. You're beginning, you're right now, and he sees your future, and he looks at you, and he says, you are worth it. I'm telling you today, that's the truth of God's word. Jesus Christ went to the cross, and he saw you. Right here, right now. And he said, you are worth it. So don't you ever believe a lie of Satan. I I talked to some men this weekend who struggle like me. You know who Satan's second place, right? You know the second place enemy in my life is? Satan's number one. But I sure try to beat him every race. I'm my second worst enemy. Oh, it's not somebody out there who hates me or don't like me or doesn't like the way I do things. No, 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 no. No, not even close. I am the second worst enemy of my life. You want to know why? Because I sit there sometimes and I say, well, I blew it. God's done with me. Not enough grace to cover this. I can be my own second worst enemy sometimes because I'll believe the lie of Satan. Saying, you're not worth it. You're not worth it. I'm going to tell you something. You are worth it. You are worth it. Let me show you. Let me show you. Ruth chapter 4 beginning in verse 7. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all of the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon, and I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. Then the elders 
And all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. Listen to this prayer, right? May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Let me tell you, you are worth it. You are worth it. Naomi was worth it. Ruth was worth it. And God was working through Boaz to show us our value. Let me tell you something. The Bible says in Genesis that you were created by God. That He formed you. He fashioned you. The Bible tells us in Genesis that God took His lips and breathed air into our nostrils. We, we are God's image bearers. Nothing else in all of creation was created in the image of God, but you were. And I was. So don't ever think that you don't have value. That you don't have worth. Now sin, your sin and my sin, is the problem. And sin separates us from God. And as we're separated from God, we're separated from His love, His grace, and His mercy. And that's where we can start to believe that we ain't worth it. And that's where we can start to believe that this is it. This is it. May as well do all this because this is it. But God, amen? God never leaves. God never forsakes. God never gives up. And so God did something. When you and I couldn't do anything about our sin, God stepped in and he did something. His name is Jesus. Let me tell you who Jesus is. He's your kinsman redeemer. Yeah, he's my kinsman redeemer. You say, how can you say that? Because Jesus Christ put on flesh. Yeah, he put on flesh. He became man. And so what we see in Boaz is a picture, a picture of what is to come. Listen to me. Boaz did it right. He went to the town gate. That is where most, if not all, business transactions, legal transactions took place. Not only did he go to the gate, he invited 10 elders to come and be a part. Why? Because 10 elders represented witnesses that would make the transaction legal. But don't get caught up in the legality of this. Because here's the truth. Boaz was not motivated by law. Boaz was motivated by love. He loved Ruth. And he loved Naomi. And because he loved them, he wanted to do it right. It wasn't motivation of law. It was motivation of love. Boaz has proved time and time again, both with his words and his actions, that he cared for Ruth and Naomi. And so in making this legal transaction, what he did was he showed that he cared also about their reputations and their future. So Boaz did it the right way. He was saying out loud, think about this for just a moment, at the town gate in front of these elders, and I'm going to tell you, the town gate was busy. It was a busy place. So it wasn't just Boaz and -and so-and-so, because you know that's what his name is. 
It wasn't just Boaz and -and so-and-so. It was Boaz and -and so-and-so and ten elders and a bunch of other people. And this was Boaz standing up. And this is what he was saying to those witnesses. And this is what he was saying to that so-and-so. Whoever. What, whatever. And this is what he was saying to Ruth and Naomi. You are worth it. You are worth it. That's what he was doing. The Bible tells us, and we see it here, but we also see it earlier in the Bible. Deuteronomy. According to law and tradition, the nearest kinsman, he did what he was supposed to do. He took off his sandal and he gave it to Boaz. You know what that is? That's the exclamation point of the transaction. He took off his sandal and he handed it to Boaz and basically said, I'm done. Also, according to tradition, when he did this, he relinquished the rights to his name being mentioned. And that is why in the book of Ruth, he is known as whoever, so-and-so. Did you know that? Yeah. By doing it this way, he relinquished his name. His name will not be mentioned. As a matter of fact, most theologians believe from that time forward, when people saw him in the street, they would go, oh, there's so-and-so. Oh, there's whoever. And what did the elders do? I'm going to tell you, the elders and the townspeople who were there, they prayed a blessing. Did you see that? They blessed Boaz and Ruth. They prayed an incredible blessing over Boaz and Ruth. This was not some random blessing. I want you to look at it again. They prayed that the Lord would make Boaz and Ruth a blessing to their nation. Just as the Lord did to and through Rachel. And yes, even Tamar. God grew Israel up. He built Israel up through Rachel and Leah and yes, even Tamar. And I'm going to talk in just a minute about those names But let me just tell you what they're doing. They're saying, God, you are sovereign. We've already talked about that, right? What does sovereign mean? God can do what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, with whomever he wants. Listen to me. With whomever he wants. When you say, well, God can't speak to me and God can't speak through me because of this, this, and this. I want you to go back and read the the Bible about a donkey that God spoke through. You're telling me God can speak through a donkey, but he can't speak through you? That's crazy. That's crazy. God can, and God will, if he's got your heart. Ooh, what a blessing. The blessing here is for offspring. Do you see that? The blessing is for offspring. Based on Ruth 1, we know that Ruth was probably married to Malon, For about 10 years. Now, we can't be for sure on that, but it says 10 years passed and Malon and Kilion died. Well, they were already married. So somewhere up to 10 years, Ruth and Malon were married. But guess what? No children. No children. Do you think that's a coincidence? Me either. (laughs) No, that's not a coincidence. Boaz was much older than Ruth. Theologians and and biblical scholars believe that he could have been old enough to actually be her father. And that's why he said, bless you, because you could have chased after the younger men. 
You could have chased after the rich men, even the poor men. You could have done that. And so based on the context and the language, Boaz was probably much older than Ruth, and that could have been a hurdle. That could have been a hurdle, right, for childbearing. But I'm going to throw two words at you. Say it again. Yeah, but God. You know, I know you wanted to say it, so I, I let you say it. But God, right? Look at what they prayed. They prayed for offspring the Lord gives. Do you see that? Offspring the Lord gives by this young woman. I'm going to tell you something. God has been working. God still is working, and God's going to continue to work. Don't take my word for it. Take his. Look at verse 13. Huh? God has been working, God is working, and God is going to keep on working because that's who he is. Look at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled. Do you see that? The Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Ooh, it sounds like another passage, don't it? Maybe over in the New Testament, book of Matthew. I might get there in a minute. The Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And look at the response. The women said to Naomi, same women that said, Naomi? In Ruth 1 and 2, now look at it. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of who? David. Ooh, this is getting juicy, ain't it? And then look at this. Look at this this genealogy. This then is the family line of Perez. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Perez in just a minute. This is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him too in just a minute. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. Now you might say that's an unusual way to end An incredible love story, but I'm going to tell you, it's the perfect way to end the perfect love story of God for you and for me. It's a perfect way. Isn't it incredible that we've been on this journey for five weeks? We've been through three and a half chapters, and we've been been witnesses to one of the most incredible love stories ever to unfold. And in one verse, one verse, one verse, verse 13, we see the confirmation We see the consummation, and we see conception. Think about that. All these chapters, right? All these verses, every word, and we get to verse 13 where God says, I told you. 
I told you. Let me tell you what we see. We see Naomi and Ruth redeemed. Don't miss it. This is all about redemption. Naomi and Ruth are redeemed. Words have now become actions, and actions have been exclaimed. Exclamation point. The legal process is complete. And yes, in the small circle of this story, Boaz redeems Naomi and Ruth. But listen to me. He redeems them physically. Do you hear me? He redeems them physically. He redeems them temporarily in this place and at this time. But there's something bigger than the small circle. See, there's a bigger circle. Okay? And in the bigger circle, in the large circle, let me tell you what's happening. God is redeeming them spiritually and eternally. He is redeeming them spiritually and and eternally. And like I told you before, this is not just a love story about Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. This is a love story about you. When God wrote these words through whoever wrote it, when God spoke these words through the power of the Spirit and it was written down, oh, it wasn't just Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. God saw you and God saw me and God saw Jesus coming in flesh as a kinsman redeemer and pouring out his life so that you and I might be redeemed. That's the large circle I hope that you see. Don't you love this? I love it when it says a son is born. Don't you love that? I do. See, I love when the Old Testament and the New Testament just mash, right? People say, well, Old Testament don't really have anything to do with us. You're crazy. It's got everything to do with us. You want to know why? Because God wrote it. And God said it. Just because it happened that many more years ago don't make it any less true. It's completely true. And it matters. Listen, it says a son is born. And the Bible tells us this was by way of the Lord. The Lord enabled Ruth to conceive. This wasn't a coincidence. This was what I call providence. This was God's perfect plan and his perfect time. Like I said, it sounds like a lot like a story I find in Matthew. You know what it says in Matthew? That there was a virgin found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. The virgin will conceive. The virgin will give birth to a son. And he is to be called Jesus. Why? Why was he to be called Jesus? I'll tell you what Matthew says. Because he will save his people from their sins. Let me just use a little short word for you. Redeem. 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 Don't miss this. I told you this, that Ruth was all about God, didn't I? Right? The minor characters are Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. But the major character is God. The one who is doing the work is God. And God is praised. Don't you love it? I love the way the story ends because it is God being praised. In the beginning of the book, the Naomi, right? When Naomi walked back, everybody looked at her and said, Naomi, like, what are you doing here? Like, what are you doing back, girl? You turned your back on us. Why don't you just get back where you went? I'm telling you, they looked at her with condemnation. That's how they looked at her. 
can this be Naomi? Like, what are you doing here? Why are you back? Oh, your husband died. You want us to feel sorry for you? I mean, they were just loaded with condemnation. But see what God does? God changes hearts, don't he? And when God changes hearts, he changes attitudes. And he changes the way we see, and he changes what we seek. See, that's what God does, the spirit of the living God. We talked about that a couple of Sundays ago in 2 Corinthians on Sunday night. Yeah, that's what God does. He changes us. And so now the women that look down on her, they have even changed. And now instead of looking down on somebody, they're praising God. Praise God. Praise the Lord for what he has done to Naomi and through Naomi. God is being praised by everybody. God is getting the glory, amen, for great things. I think there's a song. I'm not going to try to sing because my throat hurts, and even if it was perfect, it would sound terrible to you. But great things he has done. You know that song? Oh, great things he hath done. Well, guess what? Great things he's doing and great things he's going to keep doing because that's who God is. God is sovereign. Do you understand that? Do you believe that? God is sovereign. As we finish this book, it ends with this brief but incredible genealogy. And what it tells me is that God can do what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, with whomever he wants. Do you know who Perez was? Most of you probably do. But before you walk out of this place, every one of you are going to know who Perez is. Perez is a man, a son, who was born illegitimately. Perez is the son of Tamar and the son of Judah. And let me just tell you what happens in Genesis. Tamar marries Judah's son, and he dies. So according to law, what happens? Judah gives his next son to Tamar, and guess what happens to him? He dies. And then we get to the end of the line, and he's got one son left, and guess what Judah said? Nope, you can't have him. You are cursed. And my boys are dead because of you, so you ain't getting this one. And so guess what Tamar does? She dresses up like a prostitute. Judah goes into town, and guess what he does? He sleeps with his daughter-in-law. And his daughter-in-law becomes pregnant. And he's getting ready to stone her, which was law. And she says, I thought you might want to have these back. And it's his staff and his seal. And in that moment, he realized that he did wrong. And listen, this was, a, this was an illegitimate birth. There's no way around it. But you know what God did? God worked for good. God worked for good in a bad place and in a bad situation. You want to know why? Because God is sovereign. He took an illegitimate son and made him legitimate. I don't know about you, but that's good for me. Then we come in and we see that Boaz is a son of Salmon. Now, Salmon is not just a a good meal on your plate. Salmon is a man. And do you know who Salmon was married to? Anybody want to say it out loud? Say it again. Say it a little louder. Because I didn't know. I was just making this stuff up. I'm kidding, I'm not making this up. Somebody over here and somebody over here said Rahab. So let me say it louder. 
Simon was married to Rahab. Do you know who Rahab was? She was the prostitute of Jericho. That's who she was. But the prostitute of Jericho was married to Simon, and guess who they bore? They bore a young man named Boaz, who was a godly man, who in this story was God's vessel of a kinsman redeemer. Now you tell me God can't do what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, with whomever he wants. And I'm going to tell you something. You go look in the book of Hebrews, my God is the same today as he was yesterday, and he's going to be that way tomorrow. God never changes. So don't tell me what God did did do, what he did do in Ruth, God can't do today, because he can, and he does. Because I can't be standing up here preaching without God redeeming me. Because I was an illegitimate son too. Maybe not by birth, but by sin. Do you hear me? Maybe not by birth, but by sin I became illegitimate. I became a rebel. I became one who rejected God. But oh God, but God, right? But God looked at me and said, you're worth it, son. You're worth it. And Jesus walked Walked to the cross with me on his heart, with me on his mind, knowing that one day the Spirit would stir me and I would have a choice to embrace him or reject him. That's my God. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Jesus is the perfect, and Jesus is the only Redeemer who can save us from our sin. You want to know why? Because he lived perfectly. He died sacrificially, and he rose triumphantly. Think about this. Ruth chapter chapter 1, tragedy. Ruth chapter 2, chapter 3, moving through tragedy. Ruth chapter 4, triumph. And I'm going to tell you something. That's my story. That's my story. God loves me. God loves me so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for me so that if I believe in him, I might not perish but have what? Everlasting life. Yeah, I just made John 3.16 mine. That's a choice that I have. I can either reject that or I can embrace that. And I'm going to tell you something. You can too. You can too. Your story don't have to just be tragedy. Your story can be triumph. You can live in the triumph right now no matter what it feels like. No matter what it looks like. No matter how much mud and muck you got on you. If you got Jesus, you've got enough. If you've got Jesus, you have victory. Right here, right now. That's who Jesus is. I'm not making this stuff up. Let me go New Testament on you, okay? In case I put you to sleep with Old Testament. Let me go New Testament on you. Hebrews chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. He's talking about Jesus. He shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is Satan, the devil, and free those. Do you see that? Free those who all of their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. 
For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of all people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is now able to help those who are being tempted. That's my Jesus. And that ain't it. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. No, we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. He lived perfectly, he died sacrificially, and he rose triumphantly. Let us then approach the throne of God's grace with this confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now let me tie the string for you. Do you remember what Ruth said to her mama when she wanted to go to the, to the field? She said, may I find what? Favor in someone's eyes. You know what she was looking for? She was looking for grace. And boy, she went to the right place because God had his hands all over it. And God poured out grace to her, for her, through Boaz, and it's called redemption. And I'm going to tell you something. Jesus Christ did it for you right here, right now. I pray to God you're saved. Oh, I pray that you are saved. And if you're not, I can't scream loud enough how much God loves you. But I'm going to keep screaming until he takes my voice away, and he's about to do that. You can walk out of here and believe whatever you want. That's your choice. See, God is sovereign, but in His sovereignty, He will not force you to love Him in return. Because that wouldn't be love. You know what love is? Love is a choice. And God chose to love you when you didn't deserve it. God chose to love you when you could never earn it. And so God gives you the choice to approach his throne of grace where he has mercy and forgiveness and love waiting for you. Why would you walk? Why would you walk enslaved to sin, enslaved to guilt and shame when God says you can be set free? Why would you do that? Praise God for these men who were set free this weekend. Praise God for this young man, Abram, who was set free because they chose, they chose to return, to turn, to repent of sin and trust God, trust Jesus as Messiah, as Lord of their lives. And I'm going to tell you, it is finished. Men, it is finished. Jesus said it on the cross, and he's still saying it today. You ain't working for this. It's done. So my question to end this today is this. Have you repented? Have you repented of your sin? Have you received God's grace through your kinsman redeemer? His name is Jesus, your perfect and only redeemer. Have you repented of your sin? And embrace Jesus Christ as your Redeemer. It's the only thing that matters.
It's the only thing that matters. I'm not even going to compare it to anything else. You know why? Because it's not worthy to be compared. It's the only thing that matters in your life. Today, tomorrow, the next day, I mean, it's the only thing that matters. Have you repented of your sin and embraced Jesus as your Redeemer? You can. You can right here, right now. You can tomorrow if the Lord gives you breath and you live that long. His plan, His time is perfect. Why wait? I was just about to thank you, brother. We're on the same page. Why, why would you wait? Because the Bible says you're not guaranteed another breath, another minute, another hour, another day. Your life is a vapor, right? Here now, gone in a second. Why wait? The altars are here. The baptistry's full. It's your choice.